Hey, Willingdon, and all who are joining us, please grab your favorite beverage. I have my mug from Montreal today because I have two daughters and two sons-in-law there. I miss them, and it's a reminder to pray for Quebec today. This is an unusual Easter. We find ourselves in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis. And I want to begin by acknowledging that for some of us, this may not be an easy Easter. We may find ourselves in a place of, of weakness, of lacking in strength, as was expressed at the beginning of the song we just sang. Some of us may feel like the disciples on, on Good Friday. Hopes are dashed. We experience pain, separation, loss. It's a difficult day. Some of us may feel like the disciples did on felt on the Saturday, between Good Friday and Easter. It's a quiet day. We're processing. All we have is questions. Why is this happening? Why has everything changed? We may not be ready for the celebration of victory, but God can meet us where we are today. Not everyone was excited about Resurrection Sunday in the first century. Paul speaks to them in his first letter to the church in Corinth a city in ancient Greece. This is what he writes, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. In other words, it's useless. And then verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, our faith in him is useless. If our hope is just wishful thinking to get us through life, get us through this crisis, merely a fabricated hope, then we, of all people, are the most to be pitied. Our faith is useless. In his letter to the church at Corinth, Paul has already said that a number of things are useless. The comparison of preachers is useless. I like that one. A life without moral boundaries is useless. Fighting for one's rights as if that was what life is all about is useless. Presenting yourself as more spiritually advanced than others without love for God and one another, it's useless. I like the Greek meaning of the word useless. It's really helpful here. The word means really useless, (laughs) a waste of time. So what's Paul saying? To have as our starting point our preferences, our freedoms, our rights, our spirituality, our feelings, our circumstances, it's useless. In order to have the conversation about Resurrection Sunday, Paul, he counsels us to start somewhere else. As he nears the end of his letter to Corinth, he writes, I'm going to remind you of what really matters the core of the good news of Jesus. Here are the essentials. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, 
and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born. He also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. What's most important? Well, verse 3, Jesus died. He was buried, but he rose from the dead and is still alive in accordance with the scriptures. What does he mean by that last phrase? In Luke chapter 24, two disciples are on their way to Emmaus, a town about 10 kilometers from Jerusalem, three days after Jesus' death. They're discussing what has just happened in Jerusalem, trying to figure it out. Jesus draws near and joins them on their walk. What are you talking about today? He asks. One of them, named Cleopas, says, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened over the last few days? And Jesus asks, so what things? He has a sense of humor. And they say, well, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a mighty prophet. We believed that he was the Messiah. We placed all our hopes in him. But the religious leaders condemned and crucified him. And then... Early this morning, some women from our group of disciples, they went to the tomb, found it empty, came back claiming that they had seen angels and that Jesus was alive. Crazy things have happened. After this, Jesus, beginning with the first five books of the Old Testament and then referring to all the prophetic writings, he unfolds, he explains the scriptures for them. He shows them how the entire scripture points to him. What would Jesus have found in the Old Testament scriptures? Well, on that road down to Emmaus, Jesus was able to demonstrate how the promises, the symbols, the pictures of salvation in the Old Testament, the specific prophetic words, all of it pointed to his life, death, and resurrection. Walter Kaiser, a renowned Old Testament theologian, he explores 65 direct prophecies in the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus. So Jesus, he had plenty of material to work with, the whole of Scripture. Paul writes in his second letter to Corinth, all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. On that road, Jesus met the two disciples in their questioning. Maybe you have questions today. In verse 5 of chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that he, Jesus, appeared to Cephas. Cephas, the Aramaic name for Peter. Let's remember that while Jesus was being interrogated, just before his crucifixion, Peter, he sat by a charcoal fire, warming himself. And it was there that he denied Jesus three times, and he was just overcome with shame. He went back to fishing. In John 21, it says that he had fished all night and caught nothing. There's a man on the shore beside another charcoal fire that calls out to him. 
When Peter hears his call, he swims to shore as fast as he can, and Jesus says to him, come and have breakfast, Peter. The resurrected Jesus gently asked him, Peter, do you love me? He compassionately, personally restored him to his calling. Peter was never the same. He became a shepherd of the church in Jerusalem and then also in Rome. Peter would later write to the churches in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter gave his life for that message. He was later crucified in Rome. In verse 5 of chapter 15, Paul also writes, He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Remember Thomas, he believed so deeply. When Jesus made his last journey to Jerusalem, Thomas said to the other disciples, Let's go die with him. He was all in. But Jesus' arrest, crucifixion, burial, it shook him. He said to the other disciples, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He wanted evidence. He had doubts. Maybe you have doubts today. Eight days later, the resurrected Jesus appeared to Thomas and said, Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And Thomas responded, my Lord, my God. And he was never the same. Became the first missionary to India and then died as a martyr in South India for the message of Jesus. Paul, he pens these words in 1 Corinthians 15 about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. He writes in verse 6, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, James the brother of Jesus, who did not believe in his brother prior to the resurrection. Then to all the apostles, Paul writes. Last of all, as to one untimely born, as to one hurried into the world before his time, undeveloped, unprepared, that's me, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God, I actually hunted down followers of Jesus. You see, Paul, he was really religious. If anyone was ever zealous for his religion, it was Paul. So zealous, in fact, he was willing to take the lives of those who endangered it. For him, the Christian faith was pure heresy. The book of Acts Paul is described as breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus. On one occasion, he went to the high priest, the most powerful religious leader in Jerusalem, and he requested letters to all the gathering rooms of the Jews at Damascus so that he might go there and arrest every follower of Jesus. As he neared Damascus, a light from heaven brighter than the sun blinded him fell to the ground. And he heard a voice speaking to him in his mother tongue, a Hebrew dialect, Aramaic. 
It's in Acts chapter 26, verse 14. Saul, Saul, Saul was his Hebrew name. Why are you persecuting me? It's useless for you to fight against my will. Paul responded, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Paul was never the same. He became the great apostle, messenger to the nations. He would write this letter to Corinth, 1 Corinthians, around 53 AD, and he would testify, Jesus, he appeared to me. I'm the most unworthy messenger of Jesus because I actually tried to destroy the church. But, but, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. It wasn't useless. Jesus met Paul where he was on that Damascus road and extended to him pure, undeserved grace. And Paul writes, God's grace to me was not useless. It changed me forever. Notice that Jesus meets people where they are. He met the questioning disciples on the road to Emmaus, Thomas with his doubts, Peter in his brokenness and shame, Paul in his misguided religious zeal, and he drew them to himself. Do you identify with any of these today? As we seek for the truth of what happened 2,000 years ago, Jesus, he meets us where we are in our questions, our doubts, our shame, even our misguided religious paths. As a 19-year-old, I was full of questions and doubts, frustrated, rebellious, angry, (laughs) running from God, not able to discern the meaning of my life. And God met me on a hill in Texas. Jesus told me that he loved me. He extended unmerited grace, and I was never the same. What's your story? Why is it important to meet the resurrected Jesus? What did he even accomplish through his life, death, and resurrection? Listen to Jesus' words to Paul on the Damascus Road. Again, Acts 26, verse 16. Tell people that you have seen me. And then verse 17. I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. God, by his grace, he draws us to himself. Just as he did with Cleopas, Thomas, Peter, Paul, he also meets us where we are today. When we hear the message of the good news of Jesus, the Spirit of God works in our hearts. We begin to understand that we have to move from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. We're convicted of attitudes, thoughts, actions that are contrary to God's love, his goodness, his holiness. We, we acknowledge our rebellion against God and against his ways. We admit our need for salvation from the power of death. We acknowledge our need for healing in our relationship with God. We want to belong to God. But how can we even get there? Jesus said to Paul, by faith in me. 
We're saved by the grace of God, just like Paul, through faith in Jesus. We put our trust in Jesus. Paul writes, Jesus, he died for our sins. Jesus paid the price for all that is wrong with you and with me. He broke the power of sin's grip. We can be set free from all guilt, shame, fear, alienation, forgiven, restored. You see, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus are the climax of history, the center point of the entire human story. It's the most complete and amazing expression of God's desire for us to be his people, loved, adopted, cared for, and protected by him. We can become full sons and daughters of God's family. We can enter the presence of the Father saying, Abba, Daddy, Father, no longer separated. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, destroyed the power of death. Those who accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord of their lives are made spiritually alive and live with the sure hope of their own physical resurrection. They declare Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 to 57. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. With one victorious strike, Jesus broke the power of sin. That deadly poison that infected us, that led to our death. Jesus swallowed death. It's powerless over us now. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, defeated the power of Satan and all demonic forces. Those who follow Jesus have no reason to fear. They've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They have entered into Jesus' victory. So as followers of Jesus, we have every reason to celebrate this victory this Easter season. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, Jesus invites you to become one. If you sense the Holy Spirit prompting you to surrender your life to Jesus, then pray with me. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. I believe you died on that cross to pray the price for my sin. Please forgive me for my rebellion, for leading my own life separate from you. I turn from my independence and surrender my whole life to you. I turn to you for forgiveness and new life. Jesus, lead me from this day forward. Fill me with your spirit. Set me free from all guilt, shame, and fear. Father, thank you for adopting me into your family and gifting me with eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, you can click on the I Commit My Life to Jesus button and then go to the Get connected button on our front page because we would really love to help you in your journey. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Let's continue to worship.